0: This song? Yep. Really do appreciate uh, Alan and the work that he does and him being back. And it's kind of interesting, you know, he is still recovering from COVID, but when he sings, his heart rate goes back down. Uh, When he talks, it goes up, which is just kind of interesting. And so I don't know how long it's going to take him to recover, but I can count on this much. Even though he's sick, he'll keep singing. In fact, he might... Just start singing over. He has a heart rate monitor. And if it gets up over 120, 130, if Alan just starts singing, just ignore him. Uh, he's just taking care of his body. Uh, anyways, it is it is really good having him back. We need to continue to pray uh, for, for so many things. But I do appreciate your prayers for Alan and his family and for others uh, who have had COVID and other things. I do believe in the power of prayer. So I just want to say thank you uh, for for praying consistently. We were in this series that we wrapped up last week on being wholly, wholly satisfied uh, because we recognize in our society there are a great many people who are just not satisfied with their lives. And we see this in all kinds of different ways. But the opposite of satisfaction is having a covetous spirit where you actually, from your heart, wish... That you had somebody else's life, or at least a portion of somebody else's life. You want their husband, or their wife, or their house, or their status, or their business, or whatever it is. And this is a very common problem, com- common issue. And uh, we wrapped it up last week, but then I recognized after the series is over, there's still a little bit more that I needed to cover. Um, and I felt it kind of in my heart thinking, well, is there something practical that I can do? I know that my life is in Christ. I know that God has granted me all of his riches in Christ Jesus. He's held nothing back from me. I know all of this. And yet still, I'm not where I need to be. Is there something practical that I can do on, uh, on a cons- in a consistent way, in an ongoing manner, that will just help me to get where it is that I know that I need to be? Not that my works will take me to where I need to be, but maybe there's something I need to do. What can I do? What can you do? Here's what you can do. Here's what we can all do. Uh, we can follow this soul-straightening strategy called consistent thanksgiving. You can, on a daily basis, in fact, multiple times a day, you can make a practice of giving thanks to God. And that will help move you to a place where you need to be, a place in your life of Gratitude. So we're just going to talk about this one practice of just continually, always giving thanks to God. It's going to be a very, very simple message, but I hope that you take this to heart. And with that, let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. The text we're going to start with today is uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 15 through 17, which, by the way, uh, this evening, Bill Smith is going to be taking... Uh, taking the role of the Apostle Paul and he is going to present to us the whole of the book of Colossians. You're going to want to come back for that. It's this evening across the street in Historic Sanctuary and it'll be kind of a kickoff to some of our small groups because starting in October, our small groups are going to spend some time in the book of Colossians. And so if you're interested in that, this would be a really good thing to come and hear just the entirety of the epistle presented uh, from the Apostle Paul. Pretty cool. All right, here's our scripture, Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How? How? Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In everything you do, in everything you say, in all things, give thanks to God. May God bless reading His Word. You may be seated. Now, this idea of consistently always giving thanks to God is communicated in, in a whole lot of different passages in the Bible. I'll direct your attention to a couple in particular that are rather familiar because they're so challenging. One is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18 there Paul encourages us rejoice always pray constantly give thanks in everything some translations say in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus You ever wonder what is God's will for my life here it is God's will for you is that you would always give thanks in everything continually The Apostle Paul says largely the same thing, only a little bit more challenging elsewhere in the book of Ephesians. He writes, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, not just in all circumstances or in everything, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, as I go through the message, I want to just give you some permission to write a few things down, and it may not be even just notes on this passage. I kind of trust that today, as we're thinking through giving thanks to God, there may be a few things that the Holy Spirit brings to mind. Maybe God will bring your mind to some people for whom you're grateful. Maybe it's a husband or a wife or a child, a grandchild, grandfather, I don't know. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's just a friend, maybe it's some other individual, a teacher from your past. Maybe God brings to mind some things for which you should be grateful, some experiences, some excursions, some, some trips. The fact that you went to school or that you graduated from that school or you didn't have to stay in that school or whatever the case is. Or maybe you're thinking about the Holy Spirit or you're grateful for your gifts or you think about the gifts of others that they have used and they've benefited you. Or maybe God brings to attention just Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his atoning work and the fact that you stand forgiven or maybe you're just thinking about the presence of the holy spirit within you i don't know what it is but if god brings something to mind for which you should be grateful make a mental note of that uh write it down because it is an important discipline for your benefit to give thanks to god And so I don't want your mind to wander, but if it happens to wander, let it wander to maybe this list of things or people for whom you would be grateful. I hope that that happens. I hope also that you will recognize that more gratitude will not come from more acquisitions, but from more awareness of God's presence and God's goodness that's already been given. You see, gratitude in your life. Which is the opposite of an expression of covetousness. Gratitude in your life comes largely as a result of seeing the good. And you're only able to see the good against the context of understanding the reality of the world. You see the good when you see that you've got a God who is a benefactor. And you're the beneficiary, and what you receive are the benefits of your benefactor, or putting it a little bit differently, you're only able to see the good, or you see the good in ways that other people can't see the good, when you recognize there is a God who is your blesser, that you're blessed, and the things that come to you in their very essence, they're blessings. God is a giver of good gifts, and he gives you these good gifts all of the time. James puts it like this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. He's a gift giver. You're a gift receiver. What it is that you have, the nature of those things are gifts. And so consistently throughout the Bible, you see this in the Old Testament, you see in the New Testament, you see in the Psalms all the time. There is this implicit worldview recognition of the supremacy of God as a blesser and how blessed we actually are to be as people. Psalm, uh, actually, yeah, Psalm... Uh, 103, verses 1 through 4. My soul, bless the Lord and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. Our lives are filled to overflowing with the benefits of God. And... We simply recognize those benefits, and when we recognize those benefits, we see the good and we give praise to God and give blessings to God because we recognize we didn't deserve what it is that we got. Now, I hope that you will also recognize that as you see the world for what it is, as you see God for who he is and you for who you are and the things that you receive for for what they are, you, you will recognize that a Godward gratitude always requires and strengthens a posture of humility. What I mean by this is if I think that I'm owed something, I'm not going to thank you for something. Now, in Texas, we thank people all the time. I, I might pay too much for my coffee, and I'm still thanking the person who gave it to me even though I paid for it. It's just it's the way we do it in Texas. I don't know that it makes sense to a lot of people from the north. They go, what's wrong with you people? You thank your waiter? You thank your waitress? Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am, for everything. That's just the... It's just the Jesus way of doing things, okay? But I get it that you're probably not as grateful for receiving something when you've paid for it. In fact, if you think that what you get is something that you were owed, oftentimes you will have this sense that you're owed more, like hopefully this person isn't actually ripping you off. But if you know that what you receive is a gift, of course you're going to be grateful because you know that you didn't actually deserve it. You didn't merit it. It wasn't coming. Um very recently uh my son and his fiance had a wedding shower at the church. Some of you were here, some of you gave gifts and all the rest, and it was really great. It was precious to see him because at the end he was thanking people and he was getting emotional and teared up and all the rest, which I totally don't understand where he gets that from. But anyways, he was there in the fellowship hall and he was he was he was emotional, he was kind of crying. Uh and, and the reason was, I don't deserve this. You people have been too good to me. I you know, I don't I don't deserve it. That's a response of gratitude when you know you didn't deserve this and so whenever there's the expression of gratitude it requires a certain amount of humility and the more gratitude that you express the more you grow in what it is that was necessary for you uh, to feel grateful in the first place you have to have some humility to, to express the gratitude the more gratitude you express you grow in the humility it's a good thing that moves you in the right direction but if you feel like you're entitled to what it is that you've received you you won't be grateful Covetousness grows out of this sense of entitlement. And if you're entitled, here's the thing about entitled people, you feel like you're always entitled to more. When you're humbled and grateful, like this is too much. If you're entitled, it's well, where's, the, where's the rest of this? This is largely the problem that we see in, in various arenas in our society. But you see this showing up in uh, these frivolous lawsuits I heard about this case not too long ago in California, Los Angeles, California. This young man, 19 years of age, was awarded $74,000 when his neighbor's car ran over his hand. See, this 19-year-old, this teenager, didn't realize that there was someone behind the wheel of the car as he was at the base of the car trying to steal the hubcaps. His neighbor accidentally ran over his hand. And uh, the, the young man felt like he was entitled to, d- to damages that he received while trying to steal from his neighbor, and unfortunately, the courts agreed. Now you say, well, that's California. I mean, you, you know, what do you expect? Uh, because here in Texas, or at least in Williamson County, you'd think, well, if I saw that guy and then intentionally ran over his hand, the, the court would support me, you, you, you might think. That might be true in Williamson County, it, it's not in Austin. Uh, Very recently, there was a woman, I think this was probably a couple of years ago, there was a woman down in Austin at a furniture store. She broke her ankle while shopping for furniture in the store because she tripped over this kid who was running loose in the store. She was awarded $80,000 and it shocked the furniture store because the child that she tripped over was her own son. Now, she thought she was entitled to more and the court or the jury agreed to this you know what all of this is this is a covetous spirit that is rooted in our entitlement where we're never grateful for anything and whatever it is that we receive it's we ought to get more that's why you can get awards while you're stealing that's when that's why you can get a, a, awards when it should have been your own responsibility to keep your kid under wraps it's just the nation in which we live And what the Bible would have you to understand and for me to understand is that if somebody has that covetous spirit and a sense of entitlement where they say to God, you you owe me more, or they say, you you owe me more, or the world owes me more, that is the kind of life that is set absolutely in the opposite direction from God. It is a godless life. This is how Romans puts it. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. There was an absence of gratitude to God. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. They didn't see themselves in essentially the Christian way where we are recipients of grace and therefore we ought to moment by moment be expressing our gratitude. Okay, so we want to rid our hearts of this soul-twisting disease of entitlement rooted in covetousness. How do we do this? Well, there's a practice that the Bible goes to over and over and over again. And that very simple practice, that very simple strategy is to always give thanks to God. To continually, consistently express thanksgiving to our Lord. Let me take you back to the days of Jesus because Jesus was immersed in a culture where everybody understood the importance essentially of of blessing God. Of routinely, not only on a daily basis, but multiple times a day, simply giving thanks to, Lord, to the Lord. Here's the world in which Jesus grew up. If you were a devoted Jew, there were two prayers to which you devoted yourself on a daily basis. One of the prayers is something you probably heard about the Shema, which comes from the first word of the, of the, the prayer here. Okay? Hear, O Lord. Uh, if you put that up there. Hear, O Israel. Do we have the next slide? There you go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you, you love the Lord your God because you recognize the blessed life was simply having God with you and that God was the God who loves us uh, because he loves us because he loves us. We, they were chosen not because they were choice. You look at the lives of Abraham and the other patriarchs. They weren't the choice people. God just chose them because he chose them because he chose them because that's the kind of nature of God. And since God is a a, a blesser, and we are the blessed, and all the things that we receive are blessings, and this is why we we pray this prayer, this is why we love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul, and with all of our strength, because he's absolutely deserving uh, of our our adoration. There was a second prayer that the Jews prayed on a consistent basis, and it's not in the scripture, but it was very much a part of their culture. And this prayer was called the Eighteen. The longer title for the prayer is called the eighteen benedictions. Uh, benedictions meaning, you know, good words. You got Ben A good, diction, speech, words. People wanted to bless God because he was a blesser. They wanted to bless him in return for the blessings that he'd given to them and the way in which he'd showed himself to them. And the prayer went went like this. If you can put the, the next slide up there. Blessed are you, O Lord. Your name is good, and to you it is fitting to give thanks. Your name, your character is good. It's fitting for us to to give you thanks. So we're going to bless you. And they would pray this prayer. uh, Blessed are you, O Lord. They'd pray in the morning when they woke up, when they went to bed at night. Blessed are you, O Lord. In the middle of the day, they would pray it uh, again. And sometimes there'd be a variation. Be like, blessed are you, O Lord, uh, for the uh, abundance of your forgiveness, Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And there would be variations on this. The students would follow the rabbis and the rabbis would teach them different particular blessings. And the reason that this was such a big deal is because, or the reason that that people would follow after the rabbis is because people were always curious, how is it that I can better bless God? And so maybe the rabbi is going to say, you know, uh, blessed are you, O Lord. Uh, And this was a kind of a common one. Who heals the sick. You know, our bodies are sick. You created, but you can heal. And another very common prayer is, blessed are you, O God, who gives, who sustains life and raises the dead. There are all of these. Blessed are you, O Lords. And the reason, again, that this was such a big deal in the culture of Jesus is, and this makes total sense, you couldn't possibly think you had a good life and be fundamentally ungrateful. You ever know somebody that they just, oh, they're so blessed, but they they just got this, you know, bickering, grumbling, ungrateful spirit. The people knew, if I'm not grateful, I'm not living the blessed life. And the blessed life, again, doesn't come down to the acquisition of more stuff. The blessed life comes down to recognition of reality. And if you think that you're going to feel more blessed because you acquire more things or given more stuff, you haven't been paying attention. Being blessed or feeling blessed... Having that gratitude comes when you recognize how good God is and how good God has been to you, seeing the good, and you only see the good if you recognize he's a benefactor, I'm the beneficiary, and there are benefits. He's the blesser, I've been blessed, and everything that he gives me are blessings in between. And so people knew, we've got to pray this because we want to have... Blessed life, but you don't have a blessed life if you're not recognizing the blessings. The blessings aren't created by you, but the gratitude helps you to recognize what it is that you should have been seeing all along. So they worked this into their routine. And, and there, were, there would be these instructions uh, on the rabbis on how's the best way that we can pray uh, the 18. And so the 18 was sometimes called the Amida. Because that means standing, because if you were praying the 18, you had to do it while you're standing, not sitting. Because if you're sitting down, you could fall asleep while praying. And it's a bad thing to fall asleep while blessing the God. And so those are one of the rules. And another thing was what we want to make sure that we bless God the right way. So you couldn't sit on a donkey. If you're sitting up high on a donkey, you had to get down off of your high donkey so as to say the prayer because your head shouldn't be above everybody else's. And that's where we get the statement of get off your high horse was originally get off your high donkey. Actually, no, I just made that up. But come on now. Okay. No, 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 that's, I just made that up. That's not real. Uh, but but it really was. You can't be up on your donkey. You need to be standing down with everybody else because your head shouldn't be over everyone else's. And I, I was thinking, now, this is... I don't want to sound like a pirate in the Caribbean, but it seems like the code was more like, you know, uh, guidelines and, you know, not actual rules. And so they were always trying to work things out. And so around here, let's kind of apply this. If you're over six feet tall, you know, like, I don't know, Travis or... Logan, Paul, Les, we want you guys to sit down while you're praying. Because y'all's heads are like way up here over us and that's just not right. But anyways, they had all these rules about how are you supposed to pray in the best of ways, that kind of thing. On top of all of this, there were these expectations uh, that when you were, were praying, you really ought to go to the temple if you could. Because the temple was the presence of God, it represented the presence of God, which goes back to this Old Testament understanding of God intersecting with, you know, heaven and earth intersecting in the temple, in the holy of holies. And the thing that we celebrate most, the reason we feel so blessed is because of the presence of God. If the presence of God is not with us, then we're not actually blessed no matter what it is that we receive. And so people would go to the temple to pray the 18, And you see this actually in the New Testament. You see this in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, and John and Peter went up to the temple to pray at the appointed time at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What was that? That's when people, the Jews in Jesus' day, would go to the temple to pray the 18, the Amida. And so here they are doing this. And why were they doing all of these things? Because you've got to remember, for the first decade of Christianity, Christianity was a sect within Judaism. All of the Christians who converted to Christianity followed Jesus, they were Jewish in terms of their heritage and their culture. And you see this all over the place. But if you can't go to the temple, well, the rabbis would say at least point your body in the direction of the temple of the Holy Holies. And if you're disoriented and when you pray, uh, which you're going to be doing this three times a day, if you're disoriented or you're out on a ship somewhere and you don't know uh, in what direction to turn your heart, turn your heart toward the temple, because, again, you've got to turn your heart toward the Lord because at the center of the reason that you're blessing others and, and blessing the Lord and been blessed is because of the presence of God. And it's not just the, the Shema that they prayed and the, the 18 that they prayed on a daily basis, sometimes several times a day. They would also take meals as occasions to bless the Lord. They were just blessing the Lord all day long. But if you were a Jew, you didn't dare have a meal ever without blessing the Lord. It was a part of the routine. You sat down at a meal and, and you blessed God. You gave thanks consistently because of the teachings in the Bible. Psalm 24, the whole earth belongs to the Lord and all that is contained therein. It's all his. So they wouldn't imagine sitting down without saying thanks ever at a meal. And You say, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how, that's how it was with the, the Jews. But we're not under the law and we can do whatever we want to. And Look. I know that some people are in the habit of just not praying over their meals and I'm not wanting to get legalistic here. I'm just telling you how the disciples did it and how Jesus did it and how the people of God for centuries did it. When they sat down and they had food, they couldn't think of possibly sitting down and consuming without thanking the Lord first. Gamaliel, who was the teacher of the Apostle Paul said that it was required that people would pray the 18. In fact, the rabbis taught in the day of Jesus that it was so important to pray over your meal that if you forgot to bless the Lord for your meal before eating and and you just forgot to bless the Lord before it was digested and then you took off and you remembered, oh, I forgot to bless the Lord uh, at this meal. You had to go back. If you got on your high donkey, went down the road 10 miles, oh, I forgot back there in the village. I didn't, I didn't say a prayer. I wasn't, I was so engaged in conversation and I just forgot. You had to go back to the place where you were and where you forgot to pray the prayer so that you would help to ensure that you would never forget to thank God for your food again. How many of y'all like Chipotle? I'm just kind of curious here. I, you know, I thank God for Chipotle even when I don't eat it Chipotle. Um, I love Chipotle. But if I ever go to Chipotle and I don't pray for my meal and I don't thank God for that, here's how it would work. I get back up here to the church, Oh, you know, I forgot. I would need to go back to Chipotle and whoever was sitting in the seat that I was in, I would just tell them, you've got to get up. I've got to sit down here and pray and bless the Lord. And so one of the reasons that I always thank God for my food is because I am actually grateful. And the other reason is I don't want to have to go back to Chipotle and kick kick people out of their their seat and watch me pray in front of them. It's just the, the way that it worked. And you say, well, really, is that how Jesus did things? Absolutely, it's how Jesus did things. He's like, really? Well, yeah. So he's a part of the culture, but you actually see this evidence in the text that we're going to read in a little bit as we remember the Lord's Supper. Remember, this is, in, this is in Luke chapter 22. And Jesus, it says, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he took the cup and then he gives thanks. Then later, and, and, he, and he took the bread. And when they ate, he took the bread and gave thanks and then said, the Jews didn't just thank God for the meal. Every time something else additional was brought out, they would thank God for the different portions of the meal. They just blessed the Lord all the time. They bring out the figs, bless the Lord. Bring out the grapes, bless the Lord. Bring out the meat if you're fortunate enough to have meat at the meal, bless, bless the Lord. Bless you, Lord, for this chicken. You know, bring out the bread, bless the bread. Bring out the wine, bless the wine. They weren't Baptists; they didn't know any better. But anyways, they would just thank God for everything. As it was brought out. This is the culture of blessing. Not only would they bless the food. They actually had a way of blessing all kinds of particular things. They had blessing prayers for seeing common. They had prayers of blessing for seeing the ocean. They had, you know, blessing prayers for homes. I was explaining a little bit earlier in the Sunday school time. That when I was in the Rio Grande Valley, I would be frequently asked to come over to people's houses to bless the house. It was a little bit more of a Catholic culture. And even though we're all priests, and I know this from the scripture, that we're a kingdom of priests, a family of priests revealing Christ, that there's still this idea that somehow like there's Jesus and the pastor and the rest of us, which we don't believe is biblical, but I would be asked to come over to a special blessing. And sometimes I would go and bless every room in the house, which I appreciated because they wanted to thank the Lord for what it is that the Lord had provided, whether it was the house that had just been built or the house that they just moved into. The the Jews did this all the time. They blessed and blessed and blessed. And you know why? Again, let me just remind you, the Lord is blessing us all the time. But until you live a life of gratitude, you're not going to be experiencing appropriately the blessings that God is giving to you. And if you go through life without gratitude for what it is that God has given and who it is that God is in your life, you won't be living a blessed life. You can't be blessed and ungrateful at the same time. Now, some of us here, we're going to go, OK, what's what the, Ernest, it makes sense. I can bless the Lord and I can thank the Lord for my hamburger or for my husband or my wife, you know, most days. And I'm going to thank the Lord for my house and I can thank the Lord for my clothes and I can thank the Lord for, you know, the Cowboys winning or whatever the case may be. I can thank the Lord for all kinds of things. But remember, Ernest, you, you read those verses that says always give thanks in everything. In everything, in all circumstances, give thanks. That's pretty hard. But then always give thanks to God the Father for everything. Giving thanks in all circumstances, in all things, For all things, I mean, you know, that's a tall order. And I'm not going to argue with you over that. It is a tall order. It is unnatural. And I'm not going to go into a bunch of philosophy, theology on the sovereignty of God and how this works out and how God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose and all the rest. But I'll tell you this. As Christians, we are not called to, to view God through the lens of difficult people and unusual circumstances and trying times. We look at difficult people and difficult circumstances and trying times through the lens of God. It's very natural for people on a good day to say, God is good. And then on a bad day, God stinks. Where is he? He didn't even care about me. You're looking at God through the lens of circumstances, situations, and things in accordance with your own judgment in the moment. And the Bible teaches that's not how we do it. We look at all of these other things through the lens of God and we profess, in essence. Blessed are you, O Lord. Your name, your reputation, your character is good. I'm starting with that. I'm starting there. You're good. And to you, it is fitting, it is right to give thanks. Why? Because you're good. We start with God and move out from there. And you say, well, that's, that's hard to do. Well, I know it's hard to do, but here's what happens when you don't do that. Here's what happens when you don't look at all the circumstances and difficulties of difficult people through the lens of God. Here's what will happen. You'll become a radically ungrateful person because here's how it works. And this is very natural. I do the same thing too. I'm not picking on anybody, but it's entirely natural For me to discern, this is good, this is good, this is bad, this stinks, this is terrible. And I'm looking at all these things and judging them by my understanding in the moment. And then after I've passed judgment on these gifts, this is good, this is good, this stinks, this is terrible, how could you do this, God? After I've evaluated all of these things and all these people, then after my evaluation of these things, I'm passing judgment on God. That that doesn't work. In the very exercise of determining what is good, what is useful, what is right, in that very exercise, and what I'm going to thank God for, and what I'm going to curse God for, in that very exercise, I've already stepped into a different worldview where I'm sensing I'm entitled, this isn't a blessing, I deserve better. Just the very process of looking at God and judging God on the basis of my judgment of the things in my life I've already moved in the wrong direction or put a little bit differently. The more I discern what I think is good, what I ought to thank God for and what I shouldn't thank God for, the more I move in that direction, the more that becomes my threshold, the higher and higher the threshold is for what I determine to be good. And before long, I'm not grateful for anything because I've already gone down that path where I'm entitled. And whenever you're entitled, you always feel like you're entitled to more. If you're going to live the blessed life Jesus wants you to live, the apostles wanted you to live, that the Jews, the people of God, understood, you start with the goodness of God. And you work from there. You don't judge the goodness of God. You start with the goodness of God. Now, for most of us, that's a reversal. It's a major reversal, looking at things through the lens of God rather than God through the lens of things. But it's a major reversal that has to take place in your life, and it takes work, it takes practice. Why do you think the Jews multiple times a day would bless God and 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 bless God 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 all day long? Morning, evening, in between, and at multiple other occasions. Here's why. It takes work. It takes work to do a reversal where you feel and sense the gratitude and thereby live the blessed life. Let me give you an illustration or an image that I think might be helpful to you. How many of you all have heard of the Chicago fire? Does that ring a bell, the great Chicago fire? Okay. In October of 1871, the city of Chicago largely burned to the ground. It wasn't all of it, but a big portion of it. There was this fire that supposedly was started by Miss O'Leary's cow, kicks over this lantern, and it sets the whole city on fire. You've probably heard that. What you may not have heard, what probably is a surprise to most people, is that the fire that burned down the city of Chicago, it started on the other side of the river. Do you know that? Well, I'm like, how could a fire start on this other side of the river and then the whole city over here burned down? Well, there's some explanations. And one of the explanations that people are given is, well, it's windy around Chicago, duh. And it was very dry. And the fire maybe spread to some boats that were moored in the, in the river. And, of course, the ropes burned in the... Ships blew across and that's how the fire started. And that's probably part of the explanation. But apparently, the most significant aspect of the fire crossing the river was the nature of the river itself. Here's the thing. The Chicago Union stockyards at the time dumped all of the animal waste into the Chicago River. It was a slow-flowing, stinky, shallow sewer. It was so bad that the water, the river, was combustible. That is to say, you could light certain portions of the river on fire. That sounds terrible. In the day, they called it the Stinky River. They called it Bubbly Creek. It was bad. After the the city burned down, there were still continuous problems with regards to the river. One of the problems was the Chicago River at the time naturally flew into Lake Michigan. Okay, It flowed into the Great Lakes. We say, well, that, why is that a problem? Here's the problem. The problem was there were fresh water intakes for the city that went into the lake. And so in the 80s and 90s, 1880s, 1890s, it was so bad that about 10,000 people a year died in Chicago from waterborne illnesses. And they, they know on a record 14 years after the fire, there were nearly 100,000 people that died of cholera and typhoid fever. It was a disastrous river. Finally... Some politicians got involved. And probably for the first time and last time in American history, people were really excited about politicians getting involved because they, they said, we're going we're to change this. And so they cast some engineers to come along and build this canal. It was a 28-mile canal. More, more dirt, more rock was moved in the construction of this canal than of the Panama Canal. It was a major engineering undertaking. So they have 20... Eight miles of this, and they've got all of these gates and pumps and all the stuff that goes with that. And then on January second, nineteen hundred, some worker opened up the sluice gate, and for the first time, the Great Lakes started flowing in the opposite direction. The, the river started flowing in the opposite direction. All that sludge and gook and putrefication started moving down the canal and into the the Plains River, to the Illinois River, to the Mississippi River. And all of a sudden, this river, which had brought so much death in terms of this fire and in terms of disease and in terms of the, the stench, all of a sudden, it was bringing life to the city. It has been deemed to be one of the most important engineering feats within the last millennia. And some people have said, historians have said, if it weren't for the construction of this people digging this canal... So that things could flow in the opposite direction. We may not have the city of Chicago anymore. And if you look at pictures of the city of Chicago, you can look at the river and you can see, actually, it's beautiful. There are all these parks and, you know, greenery and it flows through the, it's beautiful. And you would never know that it used to be this slow flowing, shallow sewer. Now, there's an illustration here. And the illustration is this. God has more grace within him. then then there is water within all of the great lakes combined. God gets all the glory for wanting to give life to you and to me. But here's the thing. We've got to switch the flow. We've got to change the direction in terms of our attitude or disposition towards God. How much time, how much energy does it take in order to build a 28-mile canal like that? I have no idea. But day by day, week by week, year after year, they etched and etched and etched until finally things were reversed. For you and for me, the moment we stop trenching in the right direction is the moment where we start getting backwards. I know how it works. It is so incredibly natural, especially when you're separated from community, especially when you're not praying on a daily basis, or especially when all your prayers are only gimme, 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 rather than bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. It is so natural in a very short order of time to just fall away from the Lord, start getting grumpy, start, in in a certain respect, grumbling and complaining. Not just venting, but complaining. Not just to God, but sometimes about God. There's a reason that Jesus and the disciples and the people of God pre-Christ blessed God and blessed God and blessed God and blessed God again and again and again in everything and actually even, strange as this is, for everything. And some of you are still thinking, okay, Ernest, this all makes sense to me. I get it. But you understand, I've had one of those bad days or a bad week or a bad year. You say, I've had one of those bad lives and I don't know that I can thank God as consistently as I need to. I'm not meaning to make light of any of the difficulties that you face. I don't want to minimize your suffering. This is that's not what I'm doing. But just hear me out. There have been things, not everything in my life, but there have been things that I hated going through at the time. I won't tell y'all what they were, but there are certain things that that maybe in the moment I thought there is no good that you're going to bring out of this. This can't possibly be a blessing. And then maybe a year later or five years later or 10 years later or 40 years later, I look back on that and I can thank God for it because I can see God did work all things together for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. I don't always see enough, but I can sometimes see these things that at the moment I thought this is terrible. And now I look back on and I say that was a blessing. Well, I know that 10 years from now or 20 years from now or eternity from now, I'm going to look back on where I am right now. And there are certain things that I'm going to look at, maybe certain difficult people or difficult situations or difficult circumstances. And at the moment, I would say, I don't know how you're going to bring any good out of this. But in the future, I'm going to look back on me now like I'm looking back on myself 40 years ago or 20 years ago. And I would say, Lord, I don't know how I missed it, but you were up to something really, really good. See, I'm not in a position to judge the things and then by the things that I judge to judge God. And so I do what it is that the Bible tells me to do, even though I don't always necessarily feel like doing it. And that is I ought to give and I try to give thanks to God in everything and for all things. Because I'm starting with the premise like you should start with the premise. God, your name, your reputation, your character, you're good. And to you, it is entirely fitting always to give you thanks and especially for those of us who are believers who, who can look at Jesus, the sublimity of his teaching, the glory of his life, the, the atoning sacrifice on the cross, the victory of the resurrection of all people, we ought to be able to pray. and pray every day and several times a day. Blessed are you, O Lord. Your name is good. To you it is fitting to give thanks. And as a result of that, it will help drive out that sense of entitlement rooted in our covetousness. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for uh, your very, very practical word and the instruction and the example of your people and of the early apostles and of Christ. Help us more regularly to bless you. And maybe even sometimes when we pray, not even to be asking for stuff, certainly not demanding stuff from you. Maybe sometimes we ought to just bless you. Bless you for our, for our wives. Bless you for our husbands. Bless you for our friends. Bless you for this church. Bless you for this nation. Bless you for all kinds of things. And, and then even on our more wise occasions, bless you for the difficulties that we face, our momentary afflictions that cannot even begin to compare to the eternal weight of glory. Lord, help us to bless you the way that you have blessed us and continue to bless us. And as we bless you, may we grow in gratitude and know the abundant life you would have us to know as grateful people. And maybe this morning there are some here that would recognize, I, I, boy, I've fallen short. And, I mean, nobody's perfect, which yet, duh. We've all sinned. But maybe somebody here is recognizing, I haven't just done wrong. My attitude or disposition has been all wrong. I've actually been in this entitlement mode. And I've looked at the blesser as the one who is the ower. And actually, I owe you everything because, Lord, you have been gracious to me. Maybe this morning you're here and you're ready to say, you know, I repent. That is, I turn away from my sin and my selfishness, not just from the fact that I'm a... That I've done wrong, but that I'm fundamentally wrong. There's something broken and twisted inside of me. And yet still, you love me even before I've loved you back. You've blessed me and blessed me even before I even thought about blessing you in return. And I can see how you've blessed me, especially in your son. You sent Jesus to live the life I should have lived, die the death I should have died. So I'd be in a relationship with you. Why would you want a relationship with me? I don't know, but you do. And so, Lord, I'm ready to say thank you. For Jesus. Right now, I turn from my sin and my selfishness, and I just want to accept Jesus, your gift to me, as the gift that He is. And so, God, I'm just saying, Lord, would you please apply what Jesus did on the cross to me? I acknowledge Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. Thank you, God, for saving me, and I know I'm not going to be perfect immediately, but I know this much. I want to keep thanking you for who you are and for what You've done in Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.